And as you are willing and able, would you please stand to hear this reading of God's word as we're reminded that it is truly a lamp unto our feet and it is a light to our path to direct us into which way we should be going. This is taken from John chapter 15, beginning in verse 18 through 16, verse 4. It is Jesus again speaking to his disciples in that upper room discourse. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I choose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Thank you, Ron. Polycarp may sound like the name of a fish, but it is actually the name of one of the most famous early martyrs in the early church. Polycarp was a man that was born in AD 69, so uh, we could say maybe less than 40 years since the time that Jesus died and rose again. So he knew people who knew Jesus. In fact, Polycarp was a disciple of John, the disciple Jesus loved, whose gospel we have been studying together. And Polycarp was bishop of the church at Smyrna. And after his death in AD 155, uh, the church where he was the pastor sent a letter out uh, describing the life of their blessed pastor. And the letter tells us that when Polycarp was arrested and about to be put to death because of his faith in Jesus Christ, the proconsul, or the one who was in charge of his trial, tried to persuade him. And he said to him, have respect for your age. He was an old man at this time, 86 years old. He said, have respect for your age. Curse Christ, and I will let you go free. And Polycarp said these famous words, 80 and 6 years I have served Christ, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who saved me? What a wonderful testimony. Well, a little later, the proconsul tried to persuade him again. He said, we will set you on fire 
if you do not curse Christ. And Polycarp answered, you threaten the fire that burns an hour and in a little while is quenched, for you know not the fire of the judgment to come. The fire of eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. But why do you delay? Bring what you will. And the letter tells us the story goes on. As Polycarp was burnt at the stake, they were going to fasten him to the stake that he wouldn't run away. And he said, you don't need to fasten me. The spirit will keep me here and comfort me in my final moments. This is the persecution that one of the earliest readers of John's gospel faced. The story of how he faced this persecution with faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's an incredible story. But we might ask, what gave Polycarp the strength in the midst of that great opposition, in his time of need and his suffering and his death, what gave him the strength to hold fast? And that was indeed the ministry of the Holy Spirit And the word of our Savior, Jesus. It's what we hear from Jesus in our passage today. Look again at verse 1 of chapter 16. Jesus said, I have said all these things to keep you from falling away. Jesus loves his followers. He wants to help them. He wants to protect them. And he said these things to his disciples to keep them from falling away. He's already promised that they will not fall away. In John chapter 10, that familiar passage, he has said, My sheep hear my voice, I know them, they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. So Jesus has promised that we will not perish, and now we see him providing for the fulfillment of his promise. He doesn't leave it to chance. He gives us what we need. He gives us a heads up, a warning about the persecution we will face and the hatred of the world. He gives us a helper from the Father, and he talks to us about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and he gives us his word to keep us from falling away. So let's listen to this truth from Jesus once again today, that we also may be faithful followers who do not fall away. First, let's consider the hatred of the world. In this passage, Jesus says, the world hates you, and he warns of persecution, Now, we do need to understand the context right up front to keep in mind that Jesus is speaking to his 11 disciples. Remember, Judas has gone away. He's gone out to betray our Savior. So now it's just the 11 who are left. And so this first and foremost applies to them. Jesus is speaking to these men. And we can't always make that direct connection that whatever he says to those early followers applies necessarily to us in the same way. We can't say that. So we see, for example, in Verse 2, Jesus says, they will put you out of the synagogues. Well, we're not in the synagogues today, here. So this is not happening to us. And yet, many of God's people in other places around the world today are suffering in similar ways. Put out of their churches or even being killed. And Paul does say in 2 Timothy 3 that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will indeed be persecuted. So what Jesus says to these first disciples is still very relevant for us today. And the first thing he says is that the world will hate us. The world hates us, and he, gives, he actually gives three different reasons for this hatred. He begins in verse 18, if the world hates you, 
know that it hated me before it hated you. So the first reason the world hates followers of Jesus is because the world hated Jesus himself. Jesus says it like this in verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Now, Jesus first said that word in chapter 13, earlier in this extended discourse. You remember after he had washed his disciples' feet and he was exhorting them, exhorting us to humility, to service, to love one another just as he has loved us. So if if he, their master, had washed their feet and served them and loved them, then they too must humbly love and serve one another. And we must do the same. But now he says it again. A servant's not greater than his master. And this time, He's trying to help them understand that they cannot expect better treatment than Jesus himself received from the world. If Jesus himself was hated and mocked and beaten and killed, if he, the perfect son of man, the sinless, spotless lamb of God, the most good, the most beautiful, the most loving, the most kind person who ever lived since he himself was persecuted, We, his followers, cannot expect any better treatment. In fact, we must be prepared to receive similar treatment. The Apostle Paul says it like this in Philippians chapter 1, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Beloved, suffering for Jesus is a privilege That has been granted to you by God the Father. A privilege granted to us to suffer for the sake of our Savior. Well, the book of Acts tells the story of the spread of the gospel. The growth of the church. The work of the Holy Spirit through these men who heard Jesus give these words for the first time. And in Acts chapter 5, some of these men had been imprisoned for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. So they are suffering this persecution. And we are told that... When the authorities called the apostles in, they beat them and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus anymore and then they let them go. And as these men go, we read these words, they left the presence of the council rejoicing, rejoicing, not complaining or groaning about the beatings they received, but rejoicing. Why? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. And then what did they do? Every day in the temple from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Jesus had warned our beloved brothers ahead of time, and they were ready. They were ready. They counted it a privilege to suffer for the sake of the one who suffered for them And they devoted their very lives to proclaiming the gospel that the Christ is Jesus, the Son of God, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Beloved, if the world hates you, know that it hated Jesus before it hated you. Jesus knows what it's like to be hated. And he suffered for you. He suffered for us that hatred from the world to bring us perfect peace and perfect love. There's a second reason for this hatred. Verse 21 
Jesus said, all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. And verse 3 of chapter 16, they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. So the reason the world hates Jesus and those who follow Jesus is because the world does not know the Father nor the Son. It's because they reject their creator, their king, their savior. Jesus speaks of this in verses 22 to 25. In verse 22, he says, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. And again in verse 24, If I had not come, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. When Jesus says that they would not have been guilty of sin if he had not come, He does not mean that they were not guilty of any sin before he came. He means that by his coming, by his ministry, the words and the works that he did among them, he exposed their rejection of God. And so the specific sin that they are now guilty of, that they were not before, was their rejection of him as their savior. They refused to believe in him. They did not obey him. Jesus was the true light which came into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And so they were guilty. For instead of receiving him, what did they do? They hated him. And in hating him, they hated God the Father also. And Jesus says they they thus fulfill what was written about them in their law. They have hated me without a cause. He's quoting from Psalm 69 there. The world hates Jesus and his followers because the world rejects Jesus as God. They reject him as the only Savior. I started out by telling you about Polycarp. That was 2,000 some years ago. Well, let me tell you about a man a little closer to our time. Four years ago, in 2017, not the similar persecution by any means, but helps us understand what Jesus is saying here. Here in the United States in June of 2017, some of you may remember this, Russell Vogt had been nominated for for Deputy Director of the Office of Management and Budget. And he was a Christian, and he was being questioned by a U.S. senator about his faith. And the senator said these words to him. He said, let me get to the issue that has bothered me And has bothered many other people. You wrote this. Muslims do not simply have deficient theology. They do not know God. Because they have rejected Jesus Christ his son. And they stand condemned. And the senator said. Do you believe this statement is Islamophobic? And vote answered. Absolutely not senator. I am a Christian. I believe in a Christian set of principles based on. On my faith. And that post, as I stated in my questionnaire to the committee, was to defend my alma mater, Wheaton College, a Christian school that has a statement of faith that includes the centrality of Jesus Christ for salvation. And the senator then interrupted him and he continued to press this issue, sometimes even shouting, Do you think that people who are not Christians are going to be condemned? And Vogt replied very calmly, thank you for probing on that question. As a Christian, I believe that all individuals are made in the image of God. 
They are worthy of dignity and respect regardless of their religious beliefs. I believe that as a Christian, that is how we are to treat all individuals. And again, he's interrupted by the senator. You can watch this online. There's a a video still available. He's interrupted and the senator says, you think your statement that you put into the publication, they do not know God because they reject Jesus Christ, his son, and stand condemned. Do you think that's respectful of other religions? And he says again, Senator, I wrote a post based on being a Christian, attending a Christian school that has a statement of faith that speaks clearly in regard to the centrality of Jesus Christ and salvation. And finally, the senator says, I would simply say, Mr. Chairman, that this nominee is really not someone who is what this country is supposed to be about. I will vote no. Why? Why did he vote no? Because this man proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the response of those who do not know God. They reject Jesus as the only Savior, and thus they hate Jesus and God the Father. You cannot say you know and love God while rejecting Jesus. You do not know God if you do not know and love his Son. And those who hate Jesus hate those who confess this faith. Some of you will face this opposition where you work. And some of you may lose your jobs because of it. What will be our response? How do we respond to this kind of opposition? I hope it will not be the same as Jonah's response. Remember the Old Testament prophet? I hope that we as God's people today will respond in the opposite way that Jonah did. This Old Testament prophet did not want his enemies to be saved. He did not want them to experience the mercy and the grace of God that we have received. And if you remember that story towards the end, uh, after Jonah did indeed go and and preach and God had mercy and and Jonah's complaining about it, he knew God would be merciful and it's kind of complaining about it. Well, God provides a plant to give him shade in the heat of the sun. And Jonah is so thankful for that plant until the plant is dead and no longer there. And then Jonah's complaining about it, and God rebukes him. He rebukes him because he had compassion on a plant and not on people. And this is what God says to him. He says, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? They don't know. And God is trying to get Jonah to see that. They don't know. They did not know God. They were sinners in need of a Savior. They may hate us, beloved, but we must not hate them. Remember what Jesus said on the cross of those who hated him? As he was being persecuted, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so what's our response? We pray for them. Lord, have mercy open their eyes, grant them saving faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And we must love one another and be ready to support one another in times of need. If one of us loses our job because of this persecution, will the rest of us rally around and support you in your time of need? We must be prepared to do that. Well, there's a third reason for this hatred in verse 19. Jesus says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And so the world hates followers of Jesus. Why? Because we are not 
like them because we are not of the world. When Jesus speaks of the world here, he means this created moral order that is an active rebellion against God. So in one way, yes, we are just like the world around us. We are created by God in the image of God for the glory of God. We are people with needs and wants and desires. We are sinners in need of a Savior. But how are we not like them? God has delivered us from this active rebellion against God. We're not of the world that rejects God. We're not of the world that lives in rebellion against God. And so if we were to examine our lives, right, our, our checkbooks, how we spend our money, our timesheets, how we spend our time, our loves, things that are most important to us, that we love and cherish and they look the same as the world that is an act of rebellion against God, something would be amiss, right? Something would be off. Why should we be different? Because that's not who we are anymore. Because we are not of the world. But beloved, we were. We were. Just like any who right now stand condemned because they reject Jesus, so at one time did we. We also were dead in our sins. We also were rebels against God. We also were sinners in need of a Savior. We too hated Jesus. Now, many of you don't remember that. That's the grace and the mercy of God. Many of you cannot remember a time when you did not believe in Jesus as the Son of God and Savior of sinners. And that is the kindness and the mercy and the grace of God. And and that's part of God's covenant promise, how he works through families. And so if that's you, we say glory to God, thanks be to God for his mercy and his grace in your life. But for all of us, the truth is, the reality is, what the scriptures teach, we would still today be dead in our sin, enemies of God, haters of Jesus and his followers, if Jesus had not chosen us out of the world. If Jesus himself had not entered into the world and suffered for the sins of the world, for our sins, and died to deliver and save us out of the world, we would be in the same condition as those who stand apart from Christ today. But we can thank God for that message we heard in John chapter 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Why? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So, beloved, thanks be to God that we indeed have been saved through his son. Beloved, the only reason we are still not of the world today, still not God's enemies and haters of Jesus, is because God loved us when we were his enemies. He loved us when We hated him. And he gave the life of his own son to make us his friends. This is the best news the world has ever heard. And if this is good news to you today, you could say amen. Amen. But the world hates us for it. The world hates us for it. Beloved, Jesus has chosen you out of the world. And so even though the world may hate you, You must not respond in kind. We must not hate in return. No, our call instead is to gladly suffer for Jesus' sake because he 
is worthy. Because he is worthy, beloved. Our call is to love our enemies, to do good to those who hate us, to bless those who curse us, to pray for those who abuse us, to be merciful even as our Father is merciful, to overcome evil with good. Do you see the hatred of the world must be completely one-sided? You see that? It must be completely one-sided. We followers of Jesus are called to love, to love those who hate us and to love one another. So yes, the hatred must be all one way and let the hatred all be from one source, from outside the family of God, not from within the family of God. We must not be guilty of friendly fire, beloved. We must not extend hatred inside the body of Christ or outside. So Jesus warns his disciples about the hatred of the world, but then he also encourages them. He tells them again about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, verses 26 and 27. Jesus says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. So the Holy Spirit is once again called the helper. And so, beloved, you must always remember, be mindful of the wonder, the power of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within you. Be amazed at that. You have the person, the presence, the power This spirit of the risen, ascended, reigning Jesus Christ, the King of kings, he is in you, with you, now and always, wherever you go. And he is able and ready and willing to help. I have a little homework assignment for you today. I can't tell. If it's still a rainy day, it would be easy to do because you'd be stuck inside. Read Acts 6 and 7. Read Acts chapter 6 and 7. You'll read about another early martyr in the church, Stephen. It's a familiar story if you've grown up in the church. But read and look look at those details about how the Holy Spirit strengthened Stephen in the midst of his suffering. I'll whet your appetite a little bit. So Stephen was hated by the world. He's preaching the gospel, and they hate him in response. But they couldn't withstand the wisdom or the spirit The scriptures say the spirit with which he's speaking. So he is bearing witness, and the spirit is bearing witness through him. They're enraged at him. They're about to kill him. And the Bible tells us that that Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, in that very moment, he's full of the Holy Spirit, and he sees the glory of God. The heavens are open to him. And as they are stoning him, what does he do? He says these words, Lord, Do not hold this sin against them. Where did he learn that? He learned it from our precious Savior. And that same spirit, beloved, that was with him is in you. That same powerful, loving spirit is helping you today. Jesus also says the Holy Spirit will bear witness about him. So, beloved, when you talk about Jesus... When you bear witness, whether it's to those who know and love Jesus or those who don't, those who may hate him, you do not speak alone. 
You don't speak alone. The Holy Spirit is present. He is bearing witness. He's working silently, invisibly, through your words, powerfully. And the Holy Spirit is the only one who can turn haters into lovers. And he did that for you. If you love Jesus today, he did it in your heart and life. And he can do it in the heart and life of every single hater out there today. He turns haters into lovers. Well, Jesus ends this section by encouraging his disciples to remember his words. He's warned them about persecution for his sake. He's promised to send the Holy Spirit to them. He's told them these things. Why? To keep them from falling away. These disciples, the 11 he's speaking to in that moment, they could be killed by this opposition of the world. There's no greater danger to life than death, right? Now, follow me for a moment. This might seem obvious. It is obvious. But, but which is worse, a cold or death? Right? You can recover from a cold, right? You don't recover from death. The disciples faced the very real threat of death for following Jesus. But the greater threat they faced. The greater danger they would confront from the opposition of the world was not death, but apostasy. There was a greater concern Jesus had. So if the hatred of the world leads you to depart from the faith, you may gain the friendship of the world. You may preserve your life for a moment, but you will lose your soul. And Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And yet forfeits his soul. And now Jesus says in verse 4, I've said these things to you, that when their hour comes, when it happens, you may remember that I told them to you. Jesus wants his followers to remember his words. And that means more than simply to know what Jesus said. It means to think and live accordingly. Let his words make a difference in your life to think and live according to the truth of Jesus' words. When we remember what Jesus has said, it helps us put things in perspective so that if we forget what he said or maybe we ignore it or we doubt it, then we may think that any persecution we may face means that God is against us or maybe he's forgotten us or this suffering and pain that we are enduring is not worth it when the truth is Jesus told us this would happen. He warned us ahead of time. Now think about this for a moment. Jesus tells his disciples that if people hate and persecute him, they will also hate and persecute his followers. He says this, and less than 24 hours later, he's dead. He's dead. They've crucified him on the cross. You think they remember what he told them? just moments before? You think maybe now they are realizing suddenly how serious this is? Jesus died, and they very well may be next any day. Jesus is preparing them to suffer for his sake. He's telling them these things so they won't fall away, and his purpose was fulfilled. They didn't fall away. They did not fall away, even in the face of of death. I can't wait to meet these men. 
Well, not because they're great men, but they have a great Savior that worked in them. But they didn't fall away. All 11 of these men would suffer. They would be hated. Church history indicates that only one of them died in his own bed. And even that one was exiled for his faith. The other 10 were martyrs. They were killed because of those who hated Jesus. Were these men hated and killed? Yes, they were. Did they fall away? No, they did not. Why not? Yes, because Jesus is a faithful Savior, and he loses none of all that the Father has given him. He keeps his promise. Yes, that is true. Did they fall away? No. Why not? Yes, because he gave them the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit preserved them and filled them. Did they fall away? No. Why? Because they also remembered and kept the word of Jesus. Polycarp, when he was given the choice between denying Jesus and living or confessing Christ and being killed, he bore witness. The Holy Spirit within him cried out those glorious words of truth. Eighty and six years I have served Jesus And he never did me wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Beloved, this same king came as a servant and he died for you. He died in your place and he's given his spirit to be with you and his word will sustain you to the end. You may be hated. You may be persecuted, perhaps even put to death, but those who trust in Jesus will never fall away. Our King will never do us wrong. And so may we we never blaspheme Him. In word or in deed, may we never blaspheme this gracious Savior. Not only is He our only comfort in life and in death, but He alone is worthy of our lives and our deaths. So may God once again give us eyes to see and behold the glory of this wonderful Savior. For one day we will see him face to face. Amen.